بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد We had been in the midst of a discussion about various different people who've stood out in the past in the path of tasawwuf in the path of uh, spirituality who have become you can say role model role model um, role models of sort and people have uh, followed them these are people who've inspired a lot of other people so we discussed uh, one of the first ones Abu Qasim al-Junaid we then discussed a few others uh, like Imam al-Rifai now today we discuss uh, Sayyidi Abdul Qadir al-Jilani um, <coughs> he he's got a very long biography because he's got so much mashallah to offer such a great individual he was great person he was we're not going to go through everything i'm just going to mention a few things about him and then about sayyid ahmed badawi and a few others and then <coughs> inshallah we'll move on so let's talk a bit about uh, sayyidi abdul qadir al-jilani imam munawi mentions uh, in his uh, biographical work he says that this is uh, abdul qadir son of musa ibn yahya al-jilani so jilan is obviously a city and he is considered a Hanbali scholar. That's very interesting because generally some people think that Hanbalis are generally against the Sawf because today um, some of the Hanbalis tend to be like that. Some people who associate with themselves with the Hanbali school tend to be like that. But one of the greatest Sufis, one of the greatest, I mean, Sheikh Abdul Qadir al Jilani is probably, his name is always at the forefront of this. He was a Hanbali scholar. And what's interesting is that Imam Ibn Taymiyyah had actually a lot of uh, a, a lot of like for him. He's mentioned quite a few praises for him. So he was uh, he he had a very interesting life. He was an Imam in fiqh as well and in jurisprudence and in tasawwuf. And he couldn't be compared to in Baghdad. There was no nobody that could compare to him in Baghdad. In fact, what he was known about in Baghdad is that um, if you read, for example, Sheikh Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi's saviors of Islamic spirit um, if you read his saviors of Islamic spirit he's got a chapter on him showing how uh, the kind of work that he did in his gatherings in Baghdad which was the Darul Khilafah of the time the, the Abbasid Empire located with its headquarters in Baghdad so that's where he is that's one of the greatest cities that we've known uh, Islamic cities that we've known in terms of production of scholars and just the environment so he's there and there are various different uh, not just scholars and others that come to his gatherings, but numerous other people come to his gathering, including the royalty, various ministers, and part of the ruling family. They would come, and he 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 had he was an inspiration for all. so many people. Used to come to his gatherings and make tawbah, change their life completely, and so on. So he's very very powerful, and that's why he's the one who's actually known for then re-establishing, you can say, to kind of. Uh, bring up this issue of taking beta with your sheikh. It says that he's probably the first one responsible for formalizing it. Because what he realized is that there's a lot of people who come and who benefit, but then the, the, the benefit of this doesn't necessarily carry on. So he says that if I can get a few people initiated into this particular order and make them give a pledge, then they're more likely to follow that up and then go and benefit others. So that was his thought and that continues until today. So anyway, he he was in Baghdad as I mentioned. He he was born there in uh, in 470 Hijri, 
470 Hijri. Um, so he grew up there as well. And there he got very interested in taking the path of spirituality from the others who were there because Baghdad had a lot of spiritual scholars at the time. And he made extreme effort in that. That became his focus. So he would really go out of his way to make extra effort and extra exercises in trying to purify the heart and in trying to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To such a degree that sometimes he would basically just uh, get a piece of cloth that he would wind around uh, his, his head and then he would wear a jubba and then he would walk barefooted and he would basically just eat some really basic vegetables and some, and, and some leaves and he used to really exert this kind of effort for a very long time to try to abstain from uh, basically indulging in the dunya this was just his way of doing that and there's numerous things that have been um, mentioned about him numerous karamat etc and I don't want to go into uh, the depth of that right now he used to give fatwa according to the madhab of Imam Shafi'i and Imam Ahmad so he was quite proficient in both the Shafi'i and the Ahmad uh, and the Hanbali madhabs and mashallah the scholars of Iraq used to really be amazed by the beautiful answers and responses he used to give uh, in terms of it so he was not just a Sufi but he was a jurist as well right so he was a jurist in which other people used to actually consult him and people would admire his work for that a very interesting story related about uh, about him that uh, shaitan comes in different forms uh, I think we've had this discussion before we think that shaitan can't come in a form anymore we don't know that right because we know that shaitan comes in the form he came during the time of the Prophet in number of battles he was there comes in the form of an old man or somebody else to try to um, make people change their opinion and so on we've, we've discussed this before so on one occasion uh, Shaykh Abdul Qadir Jilani is there and he sees that there is suddenly a light a shining light that fills the horizon in front of him and then he hears a, a voice coming from there saying that I am your Lord Ana Rabbuk, I am your Lord I've just made all haram things permissible for you they're not lawful for you anything that's supposed to be unlawful prohibited haram they're all lawful for you now so immediately he says ikhsa ya la'in right uh, he, he immediately deters him by, by that term he says uh, may, may you be may you be um, uh, would you call it uh, degraded Oh, a cursed one. So then suddenly, that light that he suddenly saw turns into smoke and darkness. Right? Now, I'm not sure if anybody else could see the same thing or this was a vision he was having. Right? At the end of the day, this is his vision that he's dis discussing. So then he hears the voice saying, this is shaitan, he hears the voice saying, Najawta minni bi fiqhik. You've just saved yourself from me by your uh, religious understanding. Right? Uh, that, that sounds good enough for us, right? When somebody will say that, well, you've understood this, so you know you're fixed, so that's why, right? So, he, uh, this voice says to him that you've just protected or you've just been given refuge through your understanding of the deen, whereas I have I've managed to actually mis, uh, mislead at least 70 people like this, 70 uh, 70 really uh, high, high, high up people of spirituality. I've managed to 
mislead 70 of them. The other version actually says that, he says, no, it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that made me understand you. Because again, shaitan was trying to say that you have been protected by your knowledge. So giving the cred credibility or the credence, the credit to the knowledge. But rather it should be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anyway, somebody then asked Shaykh Abdul Qadir Jilani, how do you know that was shaitan? That was like such an astonishing, amazing kind of experience. How do you know that was shaitan? He says, well, obviously, when somebody tells you that all the haram things have been made halal, that person must be shaitan to you. Right? Anybody who tells you something is halal, haram, it becomes halal for you, that's a person is shaitan. Somebody comes and tells you that, brother, you don't have to pray. Just, just know, this is a, you can take this as a maxim. That person is shaitan. Somebody comes and tells you that you don't have to, you don't have to cover up. Right? To our sisters, you don't have to cover up. Shaitan. I mean, what else? I mean, making something clearly haram into halal, that's, that's shaitan. That's his sign. So shaitan didn't try this once. He tried more often. You might think, how come shaitan doesn't come to us? The big shaitan doesn't have to come to us. We're probably small fry. He can... Uh, shaitan, we, we are unfortunately, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us strength and fortitude. We're basically misled by just... Shaitan alins, just somebody telling us to do wrong, something we watch, something we see, we're misled very easily. Shaitan doesn't have to come himself. But with these people, Shaitan had to go himself because nothing else worked. And even he did not work, even he wasn't strong enough. So just because Shaitan doesn't come to us, we're, we're not going to end up denying these things. I don't want the Shaitan to come to us, right? Although it sounds like, you know, like a trademark that once you become a wali of Allah, Shaitan might come to you, but. Allah protect us from the shaitan. A'udhu billahi. Na'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim. So that's Shaykh Abdul Qadir Jilani. I just want to mention the passing because otherwise we could be here for days discussing these great people, their life stories. There's huge books written about them. One of the things about Shaykh Abdul Qadir Jilani is that a lot of his works, a lot of his actual lectures have been, have been written out in English as well. And they're very, very powerful. Several volumes of them. There's actually several volumes of them. They've been published by Al-Baz Publications. I don't know if you can still find them. I haven't seen them around for a while, but uh, Mukhtar Holland translated a lot of them. The next person I want to talk to you about is Sayyid Ahmed al-Badawi. Now, if I told you half the stories that were related about him, you, you would probably find it absolutely unbelievable. So I'm not even going to mention half the stories about him because there's some really extreme stories about him. I'll just mention a few things because... Imam Sawi has actually, well, Imam uh, Dardir has quoted him as one of the very important people. Now, these aren't people that were necessarily everybody knew, but people who were in Egypt at the time, these were the scholars. I mean, Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani, the world over, is celebrated. A lot of people would never have heard of Sayyid Ahmed al-Badawi in the subcontinent, maybe. Right? So he doesn't really feature as well. But it's, uh, it's nice to know. So Imam Munawi says about him as well that this is Sayyid Ahmed. Ibn Ali, Ibn Ibrahim, Ibn Muhammad, Ibn Abi Bakr al-Badawi, al-Sharif al-Hasib. And um, he is from originally a tribe of Sham. However, his father had moved to the Maghrib, which is the North Africa. That's where, he, that's where he was. And that's where he was born. So he was born in Fez, in Fez, in Fez which is a city in Morocco. One a wonderful city. And there he was born in 500 and... 69, 569, so about a hundred years after Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani, 569. 
So what he does in the beginning is he memorizes the Quran, right? In the beginning he memorizes the Quran. And he studies a bit of Shafi'i fiqh. He went, then goes to Hajj with his father and his brothers in uh, some years later. And then he, they stay in Mecca for a while. His father actually dies in Mecca Mukarramah. His father, those days you could go to Mecca Mukarramah as long as you got there, you could stay there for a while. There were, I, I don't think there was much visa issues in those days and paying extra if you've been in the last two years and all the rest of it. You could just get there. So his father is actually buried in the Mu'alla Cemetery, which is where Khadija radiallahu anha is buried. That's the famous cemetery of Makkah Mukarramah, right? It's on the north of Makkah. And the reason why he's called Badawi is because the Shaykh used to constantly wear a mask, a cover his face. He used to basically have a niqab of some sort, constantly, right? So this is the kind of interesting stuff about him. He, he never, you know, he, he, he always kept that on his face later on. And he never got married. And he would tell a lot of people off. So anything that was done wrong, he was known to tell people off. He always admonished people. That's what he's known as Attab from Itab, right? And then eventually he became silent. He stopped speaking. He would stay silent for very long periods. He stopped speaking. He would then only speak by giving gestures. He stopped speaking with his mouth. Now, like I said, this is quite strange stuff that's mentioned about him. And then eventually, I would say that he probably became a madhub. He became, a, this is a concept where somebody, it almost seems like they're losing their mind. Right? I met one of these people in North Africa. He used to be outside, outside, a, outside a particular building. And while he sits there, and uh, they may not even pray some of these people, by the way. Right? Some of these people may not even pray. Right? I'll let you know that. And the reason for it is that they've kind of lost their mind. But they've lost their mind in Allah. As opposed to lost their mind and come crazy like a, like a madman. They almost seem like madmen in a, sort, in a sense. But you have to be very careful about them. Because they seem to have on their path, on their journey, they've kind of... It's a, a, Ibn Atayla, etc. They all d describe these, uh, th this thing. They call, generally, we refer to them as madhub. You want to be careful about these people if you ever come across them. You may say something, but if they make a dua, that dua, may be, that dua is probably going to be accepted. Right? And when you say they, they don't pray, it's because when you're not in your full conscious sanity, then you don't pray anyway. In fact, from a fiqhi perspective, if you uh, become unconscious for 24 hours, Right for over 24 hours, over five prayers into the sixth prayer, those five prayers will be forgiven. If you slept for 24 hours, your prayers would not be forgiven. You have to do qada of them, right? But the only time when your prayers are actually forgiven for men, for women they get their monthly holidays anyway. But for men, they the only time prayers forgiven for them is if they absolutely become debilitated, they can't move at all for over 24 hours, and they miss six prayers. They get into the sixth prayer like that. Then five prayers become qada. Right, that they don't have to do qada, or if they become un unconscious for that long. So if somebody is losing their mind for that long, then they don't have to pray. That's why insane people don't have to pray. Insane people don't have to pay zakat, for example, etc., etc. Because they're not mukallaf, they're not responsible anymore. Responsibility of that you must pray, you must do this, you must observe halal, haram, etc. That is all based on aql, consciousness. If you've lost your aql, it's not what, what it's supposed to be then you can't, be, uh, you can't be accountable. 
So that's take this, but he was such a you know spiritually accomplished individual that people used to go and uh, you know want to benefit from him. So anyway, at one point, this is what happened. He says, "Fastagraka ila al-abd." He he basically became engrossed in whatever this state was, uh, forever. And uh, but he was a man, uh, you know, known for his high chivalry, high uh, high manliness. You know, like a lot of honor, self honor. Um, that's why uh, uh, another sheikh of the of the time he says that I was told by the Prophet وسلم, maybe in his dream, whatever, that in Egypt. The, uh, because eventually he ended up in Egypt. Eventually he ends up in Egypt. That's probably why the Sheikh, who's an Egyptian, is mentioning this point. So he's saying that in the, among the awliya of Misr, among the famous awliya of Misr or the well-known, after Muhammad ibn Shafi'i, Muhammad ibn Idris, the Prophet called Muhammad ibn Idris al-Shafi'i a wali of Allah, right? That after him, one of the person with the greatest sense of dignity and self-honor is is this person uh, is Sheikh Al Badawi, and then after that is Sayyidah Nafisa, that is one of the granddaughters of the Prophet There's a number of grandchildren of the Prophet family members who are buried there in Egypt in Cairo. It's well known. I mean, th- those places, lots of people come there too. Then he says it's Thumma Sharafuddin Al Kurdi, then it's Al Manufi. So he would go for days, this uh, Shaykh al-Badawi would go for days without eating, without drinking, without, without sleeping. Um, a lot of the time he would just be gazing towards the heavens, to the sky. Remember he's in a different mode, in a different state. So he's gazing, shakhisun bi basarihi nahwa sama And his, um, uh, um, so numerous other stories that are mentioned about him. But... Um, he was actually told, he, he heard a voice telling him that you must go to a place in Egypt called Tondata. Right? And that is where you're going to stay eventually. So what happens is, uh, he first went to Iraq. This was in the beginning. This was in the beginning, right? I've told you about his state afterwards. But in the beginning, he was told to travel first. And he was told to go east and then go west. And then eventually he says that you're going to be settled in Tondata. That was kind of the prediction that was given to him. So he went to Iraq and there he meets these two great people. Uh, this is Kailani, somebody else, and Rifai. They said, Ahmed, the keys of Iraq and the keys of Iraq of the Indian subcontinent, Yemen, the east and west, in, is in our hands. Meaning uh, they were very respected in all of these areas by the people. So basically, we've got the keys to the hearts of the people. He says, they said, choose whichever one you want. Which one do you want? He says, I'm not going to take the keys of anybody except from the hand of the Fattah, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? Then after that, he went to Egypt as he had been originally instructed. And that's where he was met by the famous ruler of Egypt, one of the greatest generals that we've had. Right? His name is... Uh, and I've been to two of his masjids and even his grave is there, right? There's actually two major complexes that are built by him. That is the very famous Zahir, Al-Zahir Babers. Al-Zahir Babers, I think he was one of them that, uh, who attacked the Tartars, right? So he says that he was, uh, he, when he got there, he met with him with all of his, uh, his whole army was there. And he really honored him a lot.
and so he got there in 600, 634 Hijri. So then he went to this place called Tandata and then he settled on the roof of a building. And that's where he then stayed. He would not leave this place night or day. Right? He would not leave this place night or day. For about 12 years he stayed there. Sometimes he would be overcome by something and he would shout very, very loudly. Numerous people, for example, found a lot of benefit from him in terms of getting close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they would go and they would sit with him. There were already a number of awliya in Tandata when he got there. So what happens is uh, when, he, when he came, several of them left. They couldn't stand, they just couldn't be there anymore. They were just overawed by him. They couldn't stay. Some of them left. Um, for example, uh, no, out of reverence and respect for him, like Sheikh Hassan al-Akhnani, and uh, he went and stayed somewhere else, and uh, that, that's where he settled, and then that's where he's buried. And uh, mashallah, there's, he's got a lot of respect there. But some of them stayed, like Sheikh Salim al-Maghribi, Sheikh Salim, uh, uh, um, and, uh, and a number of others. However, there are some who, who criticized him, who objected to him, and who opposed him. For example, there was a Sahib al-Iwan. He, he was probably somebody to do with the ruling party there or to, to do with the, the, the rulers there. And he was a wali of Allah himself. He was known as Wajhul Qamar, the face of the moon. That's how well respected he was at the time. Kana waliyan kabiran. He was a major wali of Allah at the time. But then he, it says that he developed hasad and jealousy for him. Like who is this new sheikh that's coming in town and that's so, become so popular? This is something that people have to worry about because this, when somebody else comes in, then it's like competition. So it says that he was affected by this. That's why his wilaya was taken away. His closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was taken away. And he's, he then died afterwards. But he says that the, the place that he's buried in, right? this is the biographer saying, that, uh, saying this. And I've read this in, uh, in uh, another Egyptian scholar's work, uh, um, Imam Sha'arani's work. He mentions this in Adab al-Sahbah, if I remember correctly as well. Right? So I've never been to this place myself, but he says that if you go to Tandata, the place that where this Wajhul uh, Qamar um, is, is buried, he says it's become a place where dogs gather now. Right? It's become a place where dogs gather now, and he's saying that there is absolutely no smell there of any goodness. It's a bad vibes you get in that place. It says about uh, the Sheikh Badawi that whenever he would wear any kind of garment or imam or something like that, he wouldn't take it off afterwards until it became completely worn out. I don't know, he was in another world. Right? So don't think of him as kind of some normal person. Why isn't he doing that? Why isn't he doing that? He would just not take it off. One day, one of his students, I think, Abdul, Abdul Majid, he said to him, I want to see your face because, you know, remove your, your cover from your face. I want to see your face. So he says that Kullu nazratin bi rajul. Every glimpse will be for a man. Every glimpse will cost a man, will cost an individual. Right? So the person said, Arini, I want to see your face. He opened it and he died instantly. Right? I, I remember hearing these stories before, I could never understand them before. But again, these are. Wallahu alam what it is, right? Wallahu alam what it is. Numerous other karamats that um, numerous other karamat that he had. Uh, I'm I'm not gonna go into all of them. I just want to bring all of this to you because you will hear these stories, 
Again, our response to them is, you know, whatever the case is, it's a, these are all possible possibilities, right? Just because they don't happen to us. I mean, the last lecture, we dealt with that. I don't want to repeat that again, but um, that, that's basically what it is. He eventually passed away in 700, uh, sorry, 665 Hijri. Then we've got, again, somebody else that uh, the Egyptians have a lot of respect for. is Sayyid Ibrahim al-Dasuqi. Sayyid Ibrahim al-Dasuqi. Imam Munawi says about him that he was a Qurashi and a Hashimi. And he was Shafi'i in Madhab. One of the great Imams of the, of the time. And again, numerous things. He, he knew a number of languages he could speak to uh, various different people. There's numerous Karamat mentioned about him. And again, I'm not going to go into all of that right now. There's a very interesting story about a crocodile who had taken some kids, some child, and the mother came and um, he sent one of his people to announce by the river that whichever crocodile took it, he needs to bring it back. And the crocodile came and brought the child back. And so many other stories that are related about him. He died in 670 Hijri. 670 Hijri. That 600s, they seem to be like, after Ghazali, remember Ghazali's just passed away, uh, Jilani's just passed away, Rahimahumullah. Right, so that looks like the kind of fifth, sixth century where numerous Sufis are picking up at this point. Then you have Sayyid Ali Abu Hassan al Shadili. He's obviously mentioned the very famous ones of Egypt. You can tell those who are well known in Egypt. Right, when you go to the subcontinent, you're going to mention uh, you're going to mention others others' names like uh, Sheikh Ahmed Sarhindi, right, which is Mujaddid al Fathani. Right of the earlier ones, and Hajwari, and there's a numerous, uh, there's numerous others that uh, were around the Delhi area and the surrounding area. So I guess he's Egyptian, so that's why he's mentioning Sayyid Ali Abu Hassan al-Shadri, and Imam Shadri. I think I don't even need to mention too much because there are so many things about Shadri. There are so many things about Shadri, and he has a whole tariqa, and it's actually very popular today. You don't really hear much about the Dusuki Tariqa the, or, or the, the Badawi Tariqa, for example. You hear a few things about the Rifa'iyya, right? The, 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 to be honest, I mean, this Sayyid Abu Hassan al-Shadri, he is a Sayyid. He's from the family of the Prophet And not only that, he seems to be, uh, this is his, uh, this seems to be his, um, he seems to be from the family of the Mawlai Idris. Mawlai Idris, if anybody been to Morocco, if anybody's been to Morocco, they will notice that Mawlai Idris is the conqueror, uh, is basically the founder of, uh, of Morocco as such. He was, he's, he's, he's buried down there and uh, he's got a tomb, etc. And he was supposed to be from the family of the Prophet ﷺ. And that's why the current rulers are also from the family of the Prophet ﷺ. They go up further on. So it looks like this particular individual is also from that. But then he eventually went to Egypt and that's where he's buried towards the southern part of Egypt, that's where he's buried. And he was, uh, in terms of Tasawwuf, he's actually from the Qadiri line. But because, uh, so his, his tariqa goes up to Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani. Um, he's about probably two or three centuries later, but that goes up to Sheikh Qadir, Abdul Qadir Jilani. But then he becomes so well known himself that the Shadili tariqa is the Shadili Qadiri tariqa. It's like a sub-branch of the Qadiri tariqa. That's basically what, that, what that's about. So there's numerous, I mean, as I said, I mean, we can go on speaking about these great people. But uh, uh, finally, he mentioned Sayyid Muhammad al-Khalwati. 
Again, Sayyid Muhammad al-Khalwati is another uh, great scholar, a uh, great uh, Sufi of the time. But uh, we're not going to mention uh, much more about that. I want to carry on now from what he says. So he says, uh, yeah, then he mentions, finally he mentions Al-Qutub al-Rabbani Sayyid Abdullah al-Nakshbandi wa atba'uhu fahaula kulluhum sadatul ummati al-Muhammadiyya radiyallahu anhum wa anna bihim ameen. All of these are the leaders of the Ummah of Muhammadiyyah in terms of spirituality. Right? In terms of spirituality, these are the ones whose names shine out. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with us. Ameen ya Rabb. So then he says, فَالشَّيْخُ الَّذِي يَدُلُّ عَلَى اللَّهِ يَجِبُ أَن يَكُونَ قَدْ سَلَكَ عَلَى طَرِيقَةِ شَيْخٍ مِّن مَشَائِخِ الطَّرِيقِ Anybody who sits down as a shaykh, right, who is basically telling people about the path of Allah, who's directing people to the path of Allah. It is necessary that that person has already also undertaken a similar journey at the hands of another one of the mashayikh of the tariq. And the person has himself made, expended all of that effort to reach a particular, because the more effort you put into spirituality, the higher the level of spirituality you will attain. So, the best is going to be the one who's had the highest level of effort in becoming a better person and becoming closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, To such a degree that they have become tahadhabat. Generally, tahadhabat means civilized. Here it would mean disciplined. The person is very disciplined in their methodology, in their way that they do things for the sake of Allah. And all of their human weaknesses have disappeared or at least most of the human weaknesses that attack people, that generally uh, cause people to fail, they have, they have left. Otherwise, it is wajib to abstain from these people because they can't take you to Allah. To be honest, I mean, our state today is such that we don't have too many accomplished people. There are, mashallah, there, there would be, but there aren't as many as we would like. That's why... Uh, if we if we're to abide by this, we'd probably never find a sh- you know it'd be very difficult to find a sheikh, uh, especially somebody you can relate to. There are great shuyukh, but you may not be able to relate to them. They may speak a different language or whatever the case is. Right? We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala to suffice us, to give us, and to provide us. فَإِنَّ كَثِيرًا مِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ قَلَّدَ إِمَامًا مِنَ الْأَيْمَةِ الْأَرْبَعَةِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ وَلَكِنَّهُ فِي عَقَائِدِهِ الزَّاغَ عَنْ إِعْتِقَادِهِمْ فَلَمْ يَعْتَقِدْ مُعْتَقَدْ أَهْلِ السُّنَّةِ وَهُمْ فِرَكٌ شَتَّى قَدْ ضَلُّوا فِي عَقَائِدِهِمْ كَالْقَدَرِيَّةِ وَغَيْرِهِمْ He says, um, a lot of people who have followed an imam of the four imams, right? There are people who follow the four imams maybe in jurisprudence. But then he says that in their aqaid, in their beliefs, so in fiqh and jurisprudence they follow somebody. When it comes to their beliefs, they've basically gone against the beliefs of even the four Imams. So they don't even have the, the, the beliefs of the Ahlu Sunnah wal Jama'ah anymore. And there's numerous of these sects which have basically been misled, like the Qadriya, etc. They may be Hanafi, Shafis, Malikis, Hanbalis, whatever, but they've, they've lost the path. And there are then those people 
who think that they're on the path of Allah. They, they are on the path of Tasawuf and path of Tariqah. And they even dress like that. They, had, they dress like that with the turbans and everything else, right? They even speak the lingo. They even use the terms. The Sufi, you know, the proper Sufi terms. They use all of those. So anybody listening to them think that this guy is a great Sufi. May Allah preserve us from this. Whereas the real, whereas the, the, their real state is that they are completely false. Right? They are completely charlatans. They're basically just filling their food with uh, food, filling their stomach with food. That's their whole purpose for this. Filling their uh, stomach with food. They don't care whether it's halal or haram that comes to them. When you become popular like that, there will be people bring you, bring you things. You don't care halal, haram, you just take and eat. And وَيَثِبُ عَلَى الدُّنْيَا وُثُوبَ السَّبُعِ عَلَى الْفَرِيسَةِ And they literally pounce onto the world just like a wild animal pounces onto its prey. وَرُبَّمَا جَعَلَ نَفْسَهُ شَيْخًا And sometimes they put themselves up as a shaykh. وَلَهُ أَتْبَاعٌ يَسْطَادُونَ لَهُ بِالشِّرْكِ مَشِيخَتِهِ يَا الله He's basically saying then he has his murids, his, uh, his associates who will then basically be hunting down people to, to bring them to him. Come on, you need to come to our shaykh. The other day somebody told me that I told so-and-so that I'm, you know, uh, I've given beta to you or whatever the case is. Like, why do you have to tell anybody who you've given beta to? You know, you give beta to somebody and then you go and tell everybody. Why would you need to do that? Have you like just joined the club and mashallah now you've got like you're a club member now. So you're going to get some prestige by this. Seriously. If you become beta to somebody, why do you do it for? The whole purpose of it is that I want to learn from that. Uh, you want to learn from that person. So it's a very personal thing. Nobody even needs to know to be honest. Nobody really needs to know. You become beta to somebody. I'm not saying you need to keep it a secret, but I'm saying you don't need to publicize it either. Right? Okay, I'm beta to so-and-so. So what? What does that make you? He's a great person. What about you though? You think it's like you've gotten on there, you joined the club now. That's why, subhanAllah, I think some, maybe some orders even tell you, because I did speak to one particular shaykh who is in a different tariqah, and I asked him about the tariqah exactly. And he says, look, to be honest, our tariqah is so simple. You get into it, the shaykh does most of the work. You just have to do, you know, these small things like this. The shaykh does most of the work. That's it. That's wonderful. That's like you're putting, putting them onto a conveyor belt. You're on an escalator now. You don't have to climb yourself. The shaykh is going to take you. That's a possibility. But Mawlana Shavali Thani, he's explained this very clearly. He says, look, the shaykh can give you a boost. Because shaykh is generally going to inspire you. He's going to give you a boost. But you need to provide the substance. He'll give you a boost and if you don't work hard afterwards, you're going to come back down very quickly. So if the shaykh gives you a boost and you feel all elated, you need to work hard to build that base so that you don't come back down. Or you don't come back down as where you were. So having a shaykh is not something to show off about. It's a very personal thing between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the shaykh. And alhamdulillah, just because you're part of a shaykh doesn't make you any greater person. In fact, if it makes you arrogant, 
then that's to your detriment. That's to our detriment. So we need to be very careful about this. That's why he's saying that this, this particular who puts himself up and then he's telling his movies, go and find others. Right? Go and find others that we, 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 we need to hunt them down. Whereas, Whereas Amuna Annahum ala shay and they all his uh, murids etc. they actually thinking that a shaykh's on to something. This guy is a great shaykh. These people are big liars. وَقَدْ أَشَارَ لَهُمْ الْعَارِفِ بِاللَّهِ تَعَالَى سَيِّدُ عُمَرْ إِبْنُ الْفَارِطِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ بِقَوْلِهِ رَضُوا بِالْأَمَانِي وَابْتُلُوا بِحُضُوذِهِمْ وَخَاضُوا بِحَارَ الْحُبِّ دَعْوًا فَمَا ابْتَلُوا That these people, they were satisfied with just their whims and notions and they were tested by whatever they've been given in this world. They jumped into the seas, the oceans of love just by claim, whereas they didn't even become wet. They thought they're swimming in the ocean of spirituality, but the water has not even has not even moistened them, has not even made them uh, wet at all. فَهُمْ فِي السَّرَى لَمْ يَبْرَحُوا مِنْ مَكَانِهِمْ وَمَا ضَعَنُوا فِي السَّيْرِ عَنْهُ وَكَدْ كَلُّوا بَلْ تَأَخَّرُوا وَرَجَعُوا الْقَهْقَرَى لِأَنَّهُمْ تَبِعُوا هَوَىً In fact, these people have actually retrogressed because they've just followed their whims of their nas. وَالشَّيْطَانُ يَقُودُهُمْ إِلَىٰ كُلِّ مَا يُحِبُّهُ مِنْهُمْ كَمَا قَالْ وَعَنْ مَذْهَبِي لَمَّ اسْتَحَبُّ الْعَمَىٰ عَلَى الْهُدَىٰ حَسَدًا مِنْ عِنْدِ أَنفُسِهِمْ ضَلُّوا He's basically saying that the shaytan became their, their drivers, became their leaders to that which, that which they wanted. That Allah, shaytan is just going to take them further into what they wanted. حَتَّى صَارَ مِنْ أَخْلَاقِ مَنَّ مَنْ تَصَدَّقَ عَلَيْهِمْ بِصَدَّقَ وَكْرَوْهُمْ بِكَرَامِ تَخَذُوا ذَلِكَ عَادَ وَطَلَوْا مِنْهُمْ مِنْ فِعْلِ مَعَهُمْ الْإِحْسَانِ I mean, we'll, we'll carry on with this later, inshaAllah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us His closeness and, the clo- and, and grant us the love of, of Him and the love of those whose love will benefit us in His court. وَآخِرُ الدَّعْوَانَ أَنِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ اللهم أنت السلام ومنك السلام تباركت يا ذا الجلال والإكرام اللهم يا حي يا قيوم برحمتك نستغيث اللهم يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم Oh Allah, we sit here today asking for your mercy and your forgiveness Oh Allah, we sit here today asking for your blessing. Oh Allah, to envelope us with your blessings. Oh Allah, to bless us in everything that you have given us. Oh Allah, we, uh, we thank you for, your, for the security you have provided us. Oh Allah, for the health that you have provided us. Oh Allah, above all, we thank you for, your, for the iman that you have given us. Oh Allah, we thank you for the concern that you have given us. Oh Allah, we don't have enough concern. Oh Allah, we aren't able to do enough for you. We are unable to praise you. Oh Allah, we're unable to worship you and fulfill the rights of your worship. Oh Allah, we ask you for forgiveness for our shortcomings and for our defects. Oh Allah, we ask you forgiveness for our sins, for our excesses. Oh Allah, for our violations. Oh Allah, for our infractions. Oh Allah, we ask you to forgive us for our disobediences, O oh Allah, <clears throat> only you can forgive us and we can't even ask anyone else. O oh Allah, we ask that you grant us your love and the love of those whose love will benefit us in your court. O oh Allah, we ask that these great people that we have spoken about, O oh Allah, we ask that you grant us 
the blessings that you granted them. Oh Allah, we haven't worked as much as them. We don't, we're not as pure as these people. But oh Allah, we ask that you, due to our love of them and our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that you benefit us and you grant us. Oh Allah, oh Allah, you've told us that you are to be asked and you're the best of those who are to be asked. And you're the best of those who can give. Oh Allah, so we have nobody else to ask except you. You are the only one we can ask. You're the best one we can ask. So here we sit here, the old and the young, the men and the women, and we sit and we ask you to bless us all and to do not let us turn away from here without being forgiven. Oh Allah, we know we haven't offered much in way of worship, even whatever we have offered it is broken it is defective oh Allah it is weak but oh Allah we ask you we ask you to complete us to make us accomplished oh Allah to make us closer and to make the rest of our life better than the previous part of our life oh Allah grant us satisfaction oh Allah by allowing us to do that which is to please you and that which is is acceptable in your court oh Allah protect us from the harms and protects us from the wrongs and the disobediences Oh Allah, we ask that you help us and you assist us. Oh Allah, protect us and our children. Protect us and our children. Protect us and our children and our descendants until the day of judgment. Protect us and our families, our health. Oh Allah, protect our health and grant us blessing in our health. Oh Allah, we ask that you accept our du'as. Oh Allah, we ask that you accept our du'as, you accept our du'as and you send your abundant blessings on our Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and you grant us his company in the hereafter. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon. Wassalamun ala al-mursaleen. Alhamdulillah.